Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Welcome to church. There are nice big gaps when all the kids leave, aren't there? Hey, I'm excited. Uh, it's Thank you for the... Um, 18 year, congratulations, Just. It's a really romantic day for Chrissy and I. She's heading out tonight to look after sick kids at the hospital and I'm going to preach at the 6pm service. So it's how we celebrate our 18th anniversary this year. But uh, I think that we should just build up for a big 20th. So, hey, uh, great to uh, kick off a new series today called Story. And uh, we've been looking at stories all through the year. You remember early in the year, we talked about stories of salvation and all of us uh, that are people following Jesus have a story to share and are encouraged to do that. And we're going to look over the next month at uh, different stories, God's story, our story, the way that God's story interacts with our story. And uh, if you are a person of faith, you've got a story to share about how your story has found the redemptive narrative of God's story. Some of us feel like our stories deserve Hollywood blockbusters. And I've sat with some of you and one day someone may come knocking on your door asking whether they could turn your story into a blockbuster. Some of us probably feel like our stories don't even deserve the 2am time slot in a documentary on SBS television. But whatever your story, if God has uh, found you, if you are a person of faith, you have a story to tell of God's redemptive work, of His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His forgiveness, and His love, and how that's found you. So we're going to share some of those stories today. But before I uh, open up the Word with us this morning, every week this month, we're going to hear somebody else's story. And this morning, we have the great privilege of hearing from our very own kids and youth pastor, Donna Graham. So would you welcome Donna up, as well as Justin, who's going to bring the interview this morning, or as I've just found out in the uh, meet and greet, some people are calling him Mr. Whippy today because of the shirt that he's chosen to wear. But would you welcome Mr. Whippy and Donna as they come and share a story? Yes, I've been asked four times this morning for a different flavour of ice cream, so I'm getting a bit of a complex... So it's good to take the focus off, off me for a second. So Donna, we, uh, you've been around for a while here at Almost, since the very start. Yes. And I think, I think there's a lot we know about Donna. Uh, we know you love kids. Yep. We know you love the colour green. Always, it's my favourite colour. We know you love saying amen together at the end of, of a, of a prayer. yes. But I think there is more to Donna than green shirts and synchronised congregational amens. <laughs> it's important, so we tell, all say it together. So tell us, just in 60 seconds, just some of the, well, who is Donna? 60 seconds. Uh, who is Donna? I um, am a daughter. I am a stepdaughter. I am a sister. I'm a sister-in-law. I'm an auntie. I am a um, best friend, I am a friend, I'm an adopted auntie, um, I am. Obs- I caught the travel bug when I was 20 and love to go um, overseas on adventures. Um, I'm also, I like to go back to the same place as well sometimes. Um, and um, I think everyone knows this, but I am slightly obsessed with Christmas. That is a very big understatement. <laughs> Donna starts Christ- talking about Christmas in January. The Christmas tree may have gone up yesterday. Wow, you, Mia's worse than you. She, hers was up like three weeks ago. And, and the Klein family as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm behind the eight ball. Yeah. 
So Donna, tell us, tell us then a bit more around the surface stuff. What's your, tell us a bit about your story. So my story, um, I realised uh, over this last sort of two weeks um, that there's part of my story that I've actually um, never shared out loud to anyone. Um, and I realised that it was because um, I love my family. Um, my family is very important to me. And um, by sharing this, I felt like people may look at my family a bit differently. Um, and I just want people to sort of, um, yeah, look at my family the way I do. And I love them, um, all their faults and flaws. So um, just sort of this is the preamble to my story. Um, I love my family, all of my family very dearly. Um, so I was not uh, born in a Christian home. Um, my uh, parents weren't Christians uh, when I was born. Um, around the age of uh, five or six, my parents owned a convenience store, uh, which is an awesome upbringing, um, Lolly Isle Galore. Um, and a random lady came into um, our shop talked to my mum, who was very overwhelmed with two small children and a shop, and um, invited her to church. And uh, my mum went along to church, uh, COC actually, uh, in Brisbane, and um, she met Jesus. And my family's life uh, was changed forever uh, in that moment. My uh, dad uh, does not believe in God and um, when asked will say he's an atheist. And um, so the result of uh, my mum finding uh, Jesus was uh, that my parents got divorced um, when I was around the age of uh, seven or eight. Um, their divorce papers state unreconcilable differences uh, due to religion. And so um, that was pretty massive uh, in my family. I have um, very strong memories of my dad packing up and leaving. Um, that's a very strong memory in my head because um, some of you don't know because I don't look it, but I am 33 years old, so um, I'm not as young as I think I am. Um, you and definitely look younger than that. Yeah, yeah. Justin told me this morning I'm definitely not in my 20s, so I don't she know She said about she was practising this and kept <laughs> saying she was 23. I said, like, you're definitely not 23. Um, so um, it's the early 90s and um, traditionally kids went with their mum and that was the case. We, My brother and I um, were with my mum um, and then saw my dad um, every second weekend. We went to dad's house and uh, my dad moved in with his brother who lived uh, on the north side of Brisbane. And uh, the best way to describe my uncle's house is um, a bit of a frat house. Um, so there were usually four to five um, guys living uh, there. And um, in a little bit transient, some of them were there longer than others. Um, and... Um, in my child's eyes, they were lovely, lovely people. Lovely people. There was a guy, Jimbo. He, um, I feel like the name says a lot, Jimbo. <laughs> um, he would collect his coins during the week to give to my brother and I so we could go to the lolly shop and where 10 cents would get you uh, more than a sniff of a chocolate bar. And um, 
what I didn't see as a child, um, as well as I do as an adult, is uh, the incredible alcohol abuse that went happened in that house. There was so much drinking, um, and the fact that Jimbo was uh, incredibly addicted to drugs. Um, I didn't know that as a child, um, but realised as I got older. Um, and the other thing um, about this house was my uncle is a very gifted artist. He um, is really quite talented. He helped me draw the Leaning Tower of Pisa for my grade seven assignment um, that I had to rub out and then squiggle the line so it looked like I'd done it. Um, but he... Um, liked to draw and was really good at it. And uh, one of the particular things that he drew uh, was uh, the female form. Um, and um, these were works of art. And um, these pictures of practically naked women were displayed um, all around the house. Um, so they were on the walls and um, very over-sexualised um, images. And uh, the other thing um, that was uh, quite prominent around the house um, was Playboy magazines and um, adult mag magazines. And it wasn't just one or two that, you know, you'd come across under the bed. It was um, a pile this high uh, in the toilet um, mixed in with the Phantom comics and um, it was always there. And so uh, from the ages of like seven to ten, I was quite exposed um, to this sexualization um, of women and um, that, yeah, these, these pictures. And I um, didn't really realise at the time the effect that that would have on me um, seeing women displayed like that. Um, so I sort of grew up comparing myself um, to the women that I saw um, around um, my uncle's house in the pictures and everything. And um, I did not look like that. I didn't grow up to look like these women. And I... Um, became quite uh, self-conscious um, of my body and um, this idea that that was obviously um, what was beautiful, that was what was desired and I wasn't those things and so I wasn't beautiful and I wouldn't be desired. Um, and so that sort of, um, yeah, affected me in my sort of adolescence. Um, at this same time, um, I have another distinct memory of sitting in my Sunday school, uh, in, my, in a church hall with my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Seema, um, and uh, deciding at the age of eight or nine um, that I uh, wanted to be Jesus, I wanted Jesus to be my best friend, and I wanted um, to... Um, join the team, uh, the language that we used at the time is join Jesus team. And um, so I started to have um, this, this sense of God in my life. And um, for me, uh, God was this guide that guided me through um, school and life and making decisions. And so he was there, but at the same time, I still felt... Um, that I wasn't enough, that I um, 
Not just uh, physically wasn't enough, but I wasn't smart enough. Um, I struggle greatly um, with spelling and reading, have always. And um, a lot of you will have got emails from me. I'm sorry, there are mistakes in them. You will find a few of them. Um, But please know I try really, really hard. Um, But just that constant um, not being enough sort of is my story and wanting to hide. Now I'm sick, I'm over six foot, so I'm very hard to hide. Um, But just being very um, hiding behind people and not wanting to be noticed um, is very much the story of my um, pre-teens and teenage years. Um, And I um, had always known that I wanted to work with kids and so I tried doing a teaching degree and wasn't good enough and dropped out. And I um, went overseas, my first trip overseas, and uh, did a camp for um, people of all ages with special needs. And um, I came home finally feeling like I was good at something, that I um, had this gift to look after people and care for people um, and give them dignity and respect and do something that actually other people couldn't do. Um, And I had this new boost of confidence in my ability to be able to do something and be good at it. And so I came home uh, back to Australia and I was involved in church and a youth group leader, a kids leader, and um, I had great friends. I was working night shift uh, in a respite home for dementia patients. And um, I had a crazy life, which meant that I was overtired constantly. Uh, In my family, we call it being soggy in the middle, burning the candles at both ends. And... um, I just um, felt like I'd become too much. I was too loud. Um, I was too obnoxious. I'd just, um, yeah, sort of gone from being not enough um, to being too much and just questioning um, myself, really. And um, I had a great leader at the time who encouraged me uh, to go on a retreat day. And so I went to the place that I knew I connected with God, which was uh, in nature and and mountains uh, in particular. The journey up a mountain is quite significant. And um, I started this retreat day and um, before I even sort of got to the bottom of the path, walking from the car park to the bottom of the path, I just cried out to God and I said, why am I this way? Like, why am I so much? And um, it is the first and only time that I have felt like I audibly heard from God. And God said, this is the way that I created you. And um, I love you. And um, so I, I did my retreat day and I have held on to that moment because I am never not enough or too much for God. Um, he loves me and he loves me so much that he never wants to leave me in the muck that I'm in. And so he's always helping to clean me off and all that sort of stuff. But it was that real, he loves me and... Um, yeah, that idea of never, not enough or never too much um, for him. And I still struggle um, with confidence and um, every now and then self-doubt kicks in, but I always stop and rest on that. God loves me and that's all that matters, really. It doesn't matter what other people think or what I think, if I'm enough or not enough. He 
he loves me and thinks that I'm enough. So, yeah, that's just snippet of my story. That's an incredibly powerful story, Donna, and some of that is the first time I've heard that as well. And um, I think there's elements of your incredibly transformational story that um, that many here would um, recognise in their own stories and uh, your, uh, your vulnerability is powerful. So we want to thank you for that this morning. Um, can I just ask you your role here? Why... Almost. So you, you got led to that, or that point of, of a, a realisation of how God sees you rather than how you would see yourself, which is a lesson for every one of us this morning. But um, what, what then meant Ormo? Um, lots of little things. Um, I didn't get the um, bright flashing light of come to Ormo, um, but it was very little steps um, along the way. And I look at um, lots of elements of my life, um, working and caring in disability, um, being invested in kids' ministry. Um, I did an internship at Gateway Mackenzie um, and just was blown away with the fact that I could hang out with kids and get paid to do that. Like, that was, like, was that a real job? <laughs> um, it is, part-time. Um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, just through different things, really felt led um, to come here and just that I'd always loved from preschool, preschool, I'd always loved um, kids and caring for people and it sort of got refined um, over the years that I just want kids to know that they are loved and important and um, the only way for them to know true love is to know Jesus and so um, stepping into this role I get to do that and um, love kids but ultimately introduce them to um, Jesus who loves them way more than I ever could. Well Personally, uh, for me and my family, Donna, you are a priceless asset in our lives and, uh, and have helped shape our kids more than you'll ever know. And I know that that's not just me. I know that there's stories all around this room of like that. So thank you this morning for being vulnerable with us. Uh, we love you and we just want to say thanks. So why don't you give Donna a big cheer. Thanks. Thanks, Donna. That's awesome. Uh, I hope you're encouraged by Donna's story but reminded uh, about a truth that comes out of it that I think is true for all of us, and that is none of our stories just go in straight lines, do they? There's, there's seasons in all of our stories, and there's moments all of us could talk about, about the highlight moments, the moments where we sense God, where we heard that audible voice, or those moments where everything was just going really well, you know, the practicalities of life were all in order, family was all healthy. We can talk about those highlight moments, but I don't think I've ever met anybody that can't talk about some of those moments in the valleys as well. The moments that shape who we are, that shape our understanding of ourselves, some of those really difficult moments, and some of us are living in the midst of some of those right now. And if that's you, today's message, I believe, is going to be a real encouragement to you. Psalm 107 says this, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. And let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. This is really the verse for this series. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hands of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from north and south. And here's where I want to go today. Some wandered in desert wastelands. 
finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Lord, as we reflect on these words this morning, the story written by someone else that we've now been gifted in your word, the Bible. May we be encouraged, may we be challenged, may we be reminded of your goodness, that your love does endure forever. Uh, just show of hands, who has ever visited a desert? Who's ever been into a desert, driven into a desert? I'm not talking just the cane fields of Ormo, I'm talking, you know, like the Simpson Desert or the Sahara Desert. I don't know about you, but most people I meet don't suggest that the desert is a destination that they desire. I don't hear many people saying, well, we've got holidays coming up, Christmas holidays. We can't wait. We're doing Christmas together in the desert this year. It's going to be 48 degrees, no shelter, no shade, no water, but we're going to do Christmas in the desert. I don't know people that talk about going to visit the desert. Those that I know that have visited the desert do it because they're fascinated by the scenery. They're fascinated by the opportunity to see and experience something that is so out of the ordinary from what everyday life looks like, or they feel like it's an opportunity to go and conquer something. So I know people that have gone and done an adventure in the desert. They didn't go because they were hoping for refreshment and rejuvenation. They went because it was something to conquer. It was an adventure. And they drove into the desert with the only desire to spit out the other side. See, I don't know people that actively choose to go hang out in the desert. Deserts are hostile, they're barren. They're dry, they're lifeless places. Deserts are places we go not to thrive, but merely to survive. They're hostile to life. Deserts are places where we battle rather than rest. They're places of isolation, of loneliness, and of hopelessness. Uh, I talk to people that have driven the Simpson Desert and they say it feels really good when you drive out of Birdsville and you go over Big Red and you get to the top and then you start to drive across the Simpson and you get to the next sand dune and you come up and over the next sand dune and you get to the next sand dune and after days of going over sand dune, it gets to the point where you come to the top and you realise on the other side is just another dry, barren place and another sand dune. We don't choose to go to the desert. But I wonder right now for how many of us here today, the desert's a great descriptor of life as we would see it right now. We don't physically live in the desert, but maybe our family life or our spiritual life, or maybe just the way we describe our everyday moment is it feels like we're in the desert place. And the words that we would use are words like this. Right now, I just feel really dry. Right now, life feels really barren and, and hostile, even hopeless. And maybe that's reflective of your, your family story. Maybe that's reflective of your financial situation. Maybe that's reflective of just your general sense of well-being. Life now feels like you're living in the desert place. And so this morning, I want to talk for a few minutes about the desert place. Why do we find ourselves in the desert place? Well, there's a bunch of reasons we find ourselves in the desert place. The first is this. Some of us find ourselves in the desert 
because of choices we make to place ourselves there. And we may not see it at the time, we may not recognise the consequences, but some of us make choices that lead us into those dry, barren, lifeless places. The Bible labels these choices often as sin. You know, these things that we do that, that at, the, at the time they feel right and they feel proper and they feel good. They may not feel proper, but they feel good. Yet the consequences are, are, are destructive, debilitating. And so maybe for some of us, and I would say at some point for all of us, our own brokenness, our own sin can be the very thing that leads us into the desert place. Sometimes we find ourselves in the desert place, not because of our own brokenness and sin, but because of the sin and the brokenness of others. And maybe right now you are right in the middle of a desert experience and you don't deserve it. You did nothing to ask for it. You just found yourself there because of something that someone else has done. Maybe a spouse, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe a work colleague, maybe a boss. But somewhere someone else made a choice and in their own sin, you found yourself in the desert place. Uh, maybe you're in the desert place right now and there's no practical or logical explanation. You would describe your life as dry and barren and hopeless and lifeless and you know that you're there and that sums up every moment for you but you just realise it's the circumstances of life. Maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a, a tragedy that you've had to walk through, maybe there's grief that you're wrestling with right now and you didn't choose it, you didn't orchestrate it, but life's just happened and you can't make sense of it and right now you find yourself in the desert place. I reckon we can probably see in all three of those categories the moments that in life we find ourselves in that desert place. We can probably all recognise in our own stories Sometimes the choices we've made that have led us to that place. Sometimes the choices others have made that have led us to that place. We might even be able to recognise the things out of our control, our circumstances and the way that that's led us to the desert place. I want to suggest the fourth one this morning and I want to dwell here a little longer because I reckon it's something that many of us have never considered. I actually wonder if some of us find ourselves in the desert place because it's the very place that God himself has led us to be. I just want you to sink in for a minute because the very thought of that might be offensive to you for just a moment. But I wonder if some of us find ourselves in the desert place because right now it's the place that God has led you to be. See, this is different from being in the desert because of sin, our sin or others, or, or being in the desert because of circumstances. This is something completely different. But I wonder if there's times where God's intention for us means that there's a desert experience that we have to walk through. Now, this isn't just an idea that I've made up. It's something that's rooted in the stories of others in Scripture and rooted in this very psalm where the psalmist says, some wandered in desert wastelands. As the psalmist writes and he reflects on the story of Israel, he would know that the desert wasteland, the desert place is very much the story of Israel. If you're familiar with uh, the Bible at all in the Old Testament, the greatest story in the life of Israel is told in the book of Exodus. It's the moment where God rescues an entire nation out of slavery. These people were living and had been for 400 years enslaved in the nation of Egypt and God through miraculous means leads them out of slavery. A whole nation of enslaved people 
are let out. And at the end of that story is God's promises for their own space, their own land, their own place to call home. But between slavery in Egypt and freedom in the land of Canaan, there's a desert in between. Exodus 13 tells a really interesting story. It says that as God is leading the people out of Egypt, listen to the words of the Scriptures. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. This is all geography, right? Don't get overwhelmed if you don't know where that goes. But God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that way was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So listen to this. So God led the people around by the desert road. God led the people by the desert road. Imagine that. Imagine you find yourself in the desert and the very reason you find yourself there is that that's very, you living right in the centre of God's purpose for where he's taking you. See, I think we always think that the desert place is the place that we shouldn't be. But I wonder for some of us if the desert place is the very place right now that God needs us to navigate through. God looks at the journey and thinks there's a shorter way, but if I take them that way, things are going to happen that are going to turn their hearts back to their land of slavery. So I'm going to take them through the desert road. There's a crazy thought. It's like a sliding doors moment. Here's a crazy thing, though. The Israelites don't get the perspective and the context. They don't understand why God leads them the way he does. They don't see the danger of the other path. They just know the experience that they live. But this isn't just the story of Israel. Let me fast forward to the story of Jesus. And I want to start in Luke chapter 3. Jesus has this incredible moment. It says this in verse 21. When all the people were being baptised, this is John the Baptist in the wilderness, is baptising the people in the River Jordan. And it says, when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, just imagine this for a moment, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven came and said, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This is an incredible moment. This is one of those faith story moments where you go, anyone got any good news stories from the week? And you know, Jesus gets up and goes, oh, this moment in the, the River Jordan, I was getting baptised and I came up and the Holy Spirit in bodily form like a dove came down and I heard the audible voice from heaven saying, I am your child and I am so pleased with you. This is one of those moments we all live for, isn't it? A moment of great affirmation, just one of those things that we write in our memoir is the day that I heard the audible voice of God. Very next moment in the scripture, Luke tells a little genealogy, it places Jesus, uh, Jesus in in a human story, but straight after that, this is what it says. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit that came down in bodily form, a dove on Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus didn't take a wrong turn. Jesus didn't miss the marker. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. God himself leads Jesus where? Into the wilderness. Other translations, into the desert. I wonder if for some of us, the story God's writing with us is going to mean that there's a path through the desert that we're going to have to walk. I want you to get a hold of this for a moment. Because sometimes we find ourselves in those deserts because it's part of the journey that God has for us. And so the question I want to ask is, 
What's the lesson that God has for us in the desert? I mean, for Israel, it was a practical reality. They couldn't get from Egypt to Canaan without walking through the desert. The desert had to be part of their journey. For Jesus, it was, it was deeper than that. And there's this incredible scriptural parallel where the Israelites spend 40 years in the desert and proved to be unfaithful. Jesus spends 40 days in the desert and proves to be faithful. Jesus actually proves himself to be the true solution to the problem of mankind where Israel proves to be completely unfaithful. There's, there's a reason why Jesus spends 40 days in the desert to parallel the 40 years that Israel spent. But I want to say this this morning, the desert might be part of the journey that God's got you on, but it's not the destination. Might be part of the journey, but it's not the destination. You see, the desert was never Israel's destination. It was just the road they had to walk through to walk into the promise that God had for them. From slavery in Egypt to what the Bible calls the promised land, there was a journey through the desert to get to their promise. It was never Israel's promise. The desert was never God's destination for them, but it was the journey they had to take so they could step into the promises that God had for them. Likewise for Jesus, the desert was never Jesus' destination, but Jesus had to walk through the desert so he could walk out into the purposes that God had for him. And the purposes weren't all glorious, were they? The purpose of Jesus was to go to the cross so that we all might know the redemption of our Father in heaven. But the desert might be part of your journey. It's never the destination. But here's the thing, and here's the difference between the story of Israel and the story of Jesus. Some of us find ourselves in the desert, and the great danger of the desert is the desert's the place we give up. And so right now, there's a message for someone here today that you might be right in the middle of your desert. Now is not the time to give up. The Israelites gave up in the desert. They'd seen the miracles of God in Egypt, like all these plagues visited on the Egyptians, eventually the hard heart and Pharaoh says, go, we're going to release this entire nation of slaves. Our whole workforce, gone in an instant, but we've seen the power of God at work, go, get out of here. And so the whole nation of Israel moves to the edge of the sea. Guess what? The army of Egypt follows them to the edge of the Red Sea. And what happens? God does a miracle, splits the waters and they walk through to their freedom. Where do they walk through the Red Sea to? Straight into the desert of Sinai. See, the greatest miracle of God, the splitting of the waters, led them straight into the desert. And then in the desert, what happens? They don't see the perspective of God that says, I'm leading you this way because if I take you the other way, I know it's a little bit shorter, but there's war that way. There's, there's gonna be battles. There's gonna be conflict and confrontation. I know this is a harder journey or it seems like a hard journey, but I'm taking you by the desert road because it's the place that I need to take you. And so God splits the seas and they walk out into the desert. And what's the first thing the Israelites start to do when they get in the desert? They start to complain. Why are we here? Why do you just lead us out into the desert to kill us? Well, you might as well go back and live as slaves in Egypt. That'd be better than living in the desert. But as we read the story of Israel, you see the whole way through, God provides for people in the desert. Exodus chapter 16, they complain about being hungry. So God sends from heaven manna and quail to feed them every day. Exodus 17, they complain about being thirsty. So God provides water to flow from a rock in the desert so that they can have their thirst quenched. You see, the desert was the path that God led them on and he knew that the greatest danger for them was that they weren't gonna inherit their promises because they gave up in the desert. Here's the crazy thing, the straight line from Egypt to Canaan from slavery to freedom across the desert was about 200 
miles, 350, 360 kilometers. Straight mile, straight line. It took the people of Israel 40 years to do the journey from Egypt to Canaan because they failed to see that the desert was part of the journey that God had them on. And so they gave up on God. They, they, gave, they made their home in the desert. The desert's part of the journey, but it was never the destination. So don't give up in the desert. And there's a danger for some of us today that we're gonna give up in the desert. I encourage you right now, on the other side of the desert for some of us today is the promise of God. Don't give up in the desert. The other side of the desert for some of us today is stepping into the purpose for which God has created us. Don't give up in the desert. A whole nation of people, a whole generation of Israelites gave up in the desert and a whole generation didn't get to see the promise of what God had for them because they didn't see that the desert road was part of the journey. Jesus, on the other hand, overcame the desert and walked into his purpose. Jesus proved to be faithful where the nation of Israel proved to be unfaithful. You see, sometimes the desert place is the place where character is formed, where faith is built, and where we learn to trust God in ways that we never have before. I wonder if there's someone here today that just needs to hear this. Don't give up. Don't give up in the desert because God's promise and purpose for you lies on the other side of this journey that he's leading you through. If you find yourself in a desert today and you know it's not sin or circumstances, you just wonder what God's done in bringing you here. Sometimes he's got to lead us through the desert so we can get to the promise and the purpose that he has for us. The desert's never the destination, but often it's part of the journey. Final thing I want to say today is this. If you find yourself in that desert place right now, God is present with you in the desert. God doesn't stand on the edge of the desert, watch you walk through it, and take the easy path around. The people of Israel, it was in incredibly tangible ways. It said that in the day, God was presenced with them practically, physically, in a cloud a pillar of cloud, and at night, and a pillar of fire. They could see and experience the presence of God even in the desert place. If you're in the desert place right now, it might feel dry and barren and empty, and you might feel distant from God and distant from others, and your faith might feel like it hasn't received any refreshment for a long time. But the only thing that's different in the desert place is not God's presence with you. Sometimes it's just our perspective and understanding. If you're in the desert right now, God is standing right there with you, right alongside you. He knows where you're at. He sees the journey that you do. For some of you, He actually needs to carry character to form in you and he needs you to walk the journey. He can't shortcut it for you. He can't lift you out of it because there's something that he wants to form in you that's gonna require that you don't give up right now, but you continue to trust him and you keep walking straight through the story that God's writing with you. Maybe you're in the desert place right now and you're just about to give up. Well, God is with you. He's not gonna leave you alone in that space. The Psalmist says this, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and they were thirsty and their lives ebbed away. But what happened then? They cried out to the Lord in the midst of their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. 
If right now you're in the desert place, maybe it's the journey God's got you on. But know in the midst of that journey, He is present right there with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And He'll carry you through. You see, the problem for Israel was every moment in the desert, God kept doing miracles. When there's a nation of people walking through a desert and there's food appearing from heaven every day, that is a miracle. But they couldn't see the miracles of God because their heart was hardened to the things of God because they spent the whole time whinging about the fact that they're in the desert place. Well, when water flows from a rock and satisfies their thirst, even in the midst of the miracle, they can't see God in it. I wonder if for some of us in the midst of our desert experience right now, we're just missing the miracles because we're so focused on all the things that aren't happening. Maybe today we just need to lift our eyes and go, God, I know you're present with me in the story. I know you're present with me in this part of my journey. Give me eyes to see you at work. Give me ears to hear your voice and give me the courage to continue to be obedient, to keep walking. Because on the other side of the desert lie the promises and the purposes of God. I invite the band to come join me this morning. I was kind of feel as I was preparing this this week that there are some of us that right now we're right in the middle of the desert place. We're dry. Maybe for some of us, we would even say we're feeling hopeless. I just felt that God wanted to minister to some of us this morning, remind us of His presence in our story, to give us a new resolve and a new courage to keep walking through whatever it is that we're in. And to be reminded that the desert is not God's destination, even though sometimes it's part of our journey. So as we pray this morning, I'm gonna pray for all of us. I'd love just as the band sings over us today, just to give the opportunity for prayer. And as we land today, I'm gonna invite people, if, if right now you're just in that desert place, sometimes in the desert, one of, one of the, the things in the desert is we don't have the energy to pick ourselves up and God's put us in the community of others that can lift us up. One of the great ways we can do that is just lifting each other up in prayer. So this morning, I just feel like we need to provide some space for us to minister to each other in prayer. Just to lift each other up in the midst of our stories and our journeys, just to speak faith and hope and life. To, to, to pray for a fresh resolve and a new courage just to keep going, not to give up, just to keep pressing ahead to sense the presence of God on every step of the journey and to walk into the promises and the purposes that God has for us. As we sing this morning, if you'd like prayer, as the rest of us stand to sing, I'd like to invite at the front, we're gonna have our prayer team here just that would love to minister to you or you see someone else that you're doing the journey of life with, why don't you come stand with them and pray with them? There's no professional praise here. You can come and actually do that journey. Maybe you'll be the one that, that helps to carry someone else through their desert experience. Hey God, I wanna thank you that you are good even when life is not. That you are good when the sun is shining and when everything's falling into place for us. God, we wanna thank you for your goodness and your provision in those times. But God, we also wanna thank you for your goodness and your provision in the times when, Lord, if we judge things on our circumstances, everything feels like it's fallen apart. 
But God, You're always present with us right in the middle of every part of our story, even when our story is right in the middle of the desert place. God, I wanna pray for those this morning that right now are on the brink of giving up. Breathe a fresh resolve, God. Give them a new perspective. Help them see that what comes on the other end of it might be the very thing that you've been preparing for, but they've just lost heart, they've lost faith, they've lost sight of. God, breathe new life into some promises today, I pray. Breathe new life into some people that have carried things that they've given up on because they haven't seen it come to fruition. God, help them keep walking through those desert moments into the things that you have for them, I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.